tonight is a Super Bowl. Super Bowl number 54. The Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers are going to play each other for the world championship, even though the rest of the world doesn't play football. We're just going to live with that. They're going to play to be the Super Bowl champions. Most of us, I think, in Indiana look at this as the Super Bowl that features that team that doesn't feature that team not to be named, right? We're just glad that somebody else is in it so we can actually watch it. Because that's my life has sort of been if that team not to be named is in the Super Bowl, I really don't care to watch. But tonight, I don't really feel like I have anything in this thing. I feel like I can just watch a good game between two really good teams, and I'm sort of excited about it. And my guess is maybe if you're not a football fan, you're probably going to be somewhere where other people are watching the game. Because that's sort of the thing is that the Super Bowl is one of those places in America, it's one of those events where everybody tunes in, almost the whole country ends up watching. That doesn't happen very often anymore, does it? It seems like that doesn't happen to us. We don't have that opportunity where we're all kind of gathered around watching the same thing. Advertisers have picked on this up on this over the years. Did you know that a 30-second commercial this year is worth $5.6 million? And they sold every single 30-second spot. Like, that's crazy to even begin to fathom and think about, that advertisers look and they say they know that all of our eyeballs are going to be on this TV So they're willing to spend $5.6 million on one 30-second spot. So maybe some of you are actually just there for the commercials, and you're kind of trying to see who can come up with the best chip commercial or whatever it is this year, right? But others of us are going to watch the game, and it's actually looking like it's going to be a pretty decent game, which doesn't happen very often either. It looks like the game is supposed to be close. They're saying that Kansas City has about a 1.5 point advantage right now, that that's kind of what it looks like. So this is probably going to come down to the fourth quarter. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be something I think we're all going to look forward to. But what's fascinating about it is the reason that it's so close is these teams couldn't be any different. Kansas City has arguably the best offense in the league. San Francisco has arguably one of the best defenses in the league. And there's all sorts of nuanced differences, and I'm not a sports commentator, so I'm not going to get all into that, but I'm not going to do it. But there's all sorts of nuanced things that are going on that cause this to be sort of this thing where these two head-to-head battles going to go on, where they're so different, and it makes for a great game. But what I found fascinating was that their differences aren't necessarily in their teams today. It's not just in who they are now. It, It actually, what's really fascinating to me is their histories, The history between these teams, or the history of these teams, and what makes them so different. The San Francisco 49ers are one of the most successful teams in the NFL of all time of history. Look at them. They have five Super Bowl wins throughout the 80s and through the 90s. They're just dominant. And if they win tonight, they tie for for the most Super Bowl wins ever between the Steelers and a team not to be named. And this is incredible to think about, that you could see some history of this team that is so successful that that you look at and their their, their fans can just relish in that. They can sit back. They can revel in this idea that, look at our team. Look at all the wins that we have. Look who we are. Look what we've accomplished, right? They can look back and think, we are incredible. This This is just another Super Bowl on the way to say greatest team of all time, right? 
Then Kansas City shows up. They haven't been to or won a Super Bowl in 50 years since Super Bowl Four. They were in the single digits, man, like Super Bowl Four. And did you know that a 30-second commercial in Super Bowl Four cost $30,000? Like, that's not, e- that's not even 1%. Like, that's crazy. That's like a half of a half of a percent of the cost. That's how long ago that they won a Super Bowl. And here's the thing. Kansas City... Their, their history is not filled with all sorts of success. Yeah, sure, they have some achievements along the way, but for a lot of their fans, they look back, and there's a lot of moments that they wish that they could forget. So the differences are you have this team with all this history of achievement and success and trophy cases and things filled with look at all that we did and think about all the great things that we did. So whether if they lose, it doesn't matter. Look at their great history in their past, right? And Kansas City says, this is our chance. We need this so desperately. We have to go 50 years back, and most of their fans are saying, I don't even remember that. Like, that is that long ago. I can't even remember when we won a Super Bowl. And so for them, they look back at their history, and they think, man, the days have not been that kind to us. Now, the reason I mention this isn't just because it's the Super Bowl. I think it's good to look and see how do things connect and what's going on in the context of our world. But the reason I wanted to mention it was that I think that it's incredible because this difference between these two teams is true of you and true of me. Every single one of us has achievements in our past that we look back and we think about that job that we got. We think about that car that we drove. Maybe we had a season of life where it was the money that we made and we had an achievement And we look at that trophy case, and we think about the things that we did back then. And we can think about those moments, and we sort of lift them up, that degree that we got, that tournament we won, that concert we played, maybe that goal that we had. And it sort of begins like this trophy case of achievements in our lives. We all have that somewhere. All of us have somewhere we look back and say, man, remember that? Those were the good old days, right? And then, for others of us, we have moments we wish that we could forget. We have these moments that sort of come back and they're mocking us from the past and causing us to stop, causing us to rethink our lives. One of the ways that I put it, I said, for every accomplishment we have, we probably have a failure, a mistake, a pain that we don't want to return to, right? A choice or a decision or something you experienced. And those moments, they're less like trophy cases, aren't there? They're, they're, they're more like, uh, like a closet door that every time you try to open it and clean up the mess, it just seems like there's more stuff in there. And when people come over, you kind of hope that's the door that they don't open because you don't want them to see all that stuff. A trophy case we proudly display for everybody, but that one we're sort of like, I don't think I want anybody to know about this. But for us, it's there. And it's always been there, and it's always been present in our lives. It was funny, as we were sitting there, I was thinking about this sermon, and I went, you know what, man, I was thinking about the times that I've played some different stuff back in the day, and and had concerts and stuff with a band, and man, it was so good, it was so awesome, and I thought, but for the next 20 years, I'm going to think about, remember that time that I played the chords in the wrong key? 
And everybody looked at me and went, what are you doing? Why is it the weird stuff that cycles back into our heads? Do you guys have that too? It just comes back at you and it just keeps coming at you and you're like, I just want to forget that stuff. I shut that door. Why does it keep opening? You know, what's interesting is that we are not alone in this. This is where the tension is found that I want to talk about today. This is where regret comes into our lives. That whether we have good or bad moments, those good or bad moments, they tend to pull us back into the past, don't they? They tend to grab hold of us and say, no, 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 come back here. Come back, come back. look behind, look at what was. And we can get stuck in the past. And the problem with being stuck in the past is that when you're stuck in the past, you are stealing from your future. When you are stuck in the past, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you're stealing from your future. And we're not the only people to deal with this. Generations of people have dealt with this. And generations have dealt with this so much that we find this principle alive in Scripture. We find it in the Israelite people. So I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. The ancient Israelites are looking at their past, and God commands them to reclaim their future, to reclaim it from the past, to to get beyond their past, and it's a powerful lesson in starting over. So here's what it says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And I thought, you know what? There's the sermon. Go home. Because we can put that up on a chart, on a wall. We can make it a little post-it note. We can probably go down to a bookstore and find a painting of that, right? See, I'm doing a new thing. All right, good enough, right? But I find a bunch of tension in that. And the reason I find tension in that is that I don't know that that's what we always do or what we're even supposed to do, right? I don't know about you, but no matter how hard I try to clean out that closet, that project's never complete. And then there's another side to it is this, that we're not supposed to forget the good things, are we? Didn't didn't we just talk about recently in the past couple prayers that we've had today and last week that we're supposed to reflect on the goodness of God, on the way that he's worked in our lives, We're supposed to recognize his faithfulness and how he's worked through our past and got us to where we are today. And then we read a passage like this that says, forget the former things. It's kind of like, wait a minute. Now this seems all sorts of contradictory to what I know to be true. Number one, it's not that easy. And number two, it seems spiritually untrue. I need to remember the things that God has done in my past. If I'm going to even have a chance to face the future. So that's a good thing to do. So what do we do here? What do we do with this tension? Maybe, like we like to say, there's something more going on here below the surface. Maybe if we begin to peel back some layers here, we're going to discover something, and I think we will. So listen to this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now, when something is confusing like this, the best thing we can do is see what was before, right? And we can look and see what is after, and we can discover the context here, and the context matters. Look at just a couple of verses before this. Listen to what it says. 
This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. So right before Isaiah says this, right before he talks about this word from God, he lists out a few of the things that God did in the past. He references how God rescued the Israelites from their captivity, how he made a way for them through the sea. He kind of invites them, hey, stop for a minute. Look at the trophy case. Look at the things that God did in our past. See what he did for us. So he causes them to stop, to look back, to see what God had done. And then right after this, right after these verses, he says this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And what's fascinating about this, this would have been code to these people. The idea of wilderness and, and wasteland would have been understood by the people that this was written to. They, they knew that their past was littered with tragedies and mistakes and conquests and problems. Wasteland. Wilderness. They had tragedies and failures that we can't even begin to imagine, that we can't even fathom. See, now what's really interesting about this is that this was written during the time of the exile. So these people, this was written to a group of people who had been rescued from their slavery. God had brought them across the water into, the, into, this, into this land of this wilderness that then brought them into the promised land. And then once in the promised land, everything turned bad again, and they end up being conquered, taken away from their homes, sent away in exile back into wilderness and in unknown. And so it's sort of like this thing, like look back and look at what God had done through all the pain that you experienced and sort of the pain that you're experiencing today. Now, some of us, we have code like this too, don't we? You have code like this. Remember that year? I literally just have to say that year, and you go, yep. That year. Remember that house? Remember that relationship? See, this is our code. I don't think we need code like wilderness or wasteland. I just say something like year, house, or relationship, and most of us can go, yeah, yeah. See, whether it's the highest of the highs in life or the lowest in the lows, we've all been there. So this is why I don't think God is asking us to have amnesia. I think there's something else happening here. That context tells me that there's something deeper taking place, and I love that, this translation for that reason. Listen to what he says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. What a great translation of this. Don't dwell on the past. And I need this reminder. It's way too easy, isn't it, to live in the past, to sort of set up shop, all I could imagine was how in my mind, 
I can sort of look back and say, you know what, I'm just going to move back into that place because right now just it's, I don't want to be here. I'm just going to move my mind right back into there. And that's this tendency that every single one of us has to do. We, we, we can look back and we be, can move back into the houses of our past instead of seeing the things that God is building today, and that's what he's warning them about. He says, don't move back into those past experiences. And you might move between a couple houses in your past. One day, depending on where you're at, you might move into that house where things were not working out, where things were a mess, where everything was falling apart, and you move into there, and you sort of into this place where you just say, it's awful. This is just, I can't get away from this. For others of us, we move into this house where we say, you know, things were so much better here. I'm just going to live here for a while because this is way, way better. Uh, can I just live in this moment? And he says both of those are a danger. You have to walk away from both of those places. Tear down those houses. Don't even consider dwelling in them because you're going to miss something. He says God is doing a new thing. Like imagine, imagine hearing this in the midst of exile. God is doing a new thing. And you look around and you go, really? Here? In this moment? Now? Yeah. I'd rather just focus on the past. It was way better. This is about trust. God is doing a new thing. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now, when we read the scriptures, we have an advantage. We get to read this through the lens of Jesus. We know that God promised to do a new thing, and he was speaking to that culture, those people, that context, those people in exile right there. But as we read it through the lens of Jesus, we can see that God was, in fact, doing a new thing. He was preparing to do a new thing through Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through this thing that would come about called the church, that God was, in, in fact, going to do a new thing. But here's what's interesting about this. That as we look at this, this new life, this new beginning, this new covenant, this new promise, this new kingdom, the disciples were the people who were listening to all of this. They would have heard Jesus talking. They would have understood that he's talking about this new thing about to happen. But do you know what's crazy about them? Is that they were still stuck in the past. This is what's amazing to me about the people that Jesus called. He calls people like you and like me. That they see the most unbelievable things with Jesus. That they walk with Jesus, they don't believe. That they see his death and, 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 and they look and they say, oh, hope is, there's no hope anymore. Then they see his resurrection, literally his resurrection, and they say, I'm still not sure. Could you do something else new for us here? And then Jesus gathers his disciples together. And I want you to see this incredible moment that makes me feel like, okay, we're not the only ones who struggle with this. They meet Jesus. They meet up with Jesus after his resurrection. The most unexpected moment in history. The most incredible moment ever recorded. And guys, they ask a question about their past. Listen to this. Then they gathered around him. They asked him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
They're literally standing with Jesus. After his resurrection, and they look and say, Jesus, is now the time? Are you going to take us back? Are you going to restore things to the way that they were? Because you know what? Those things sure were good. Now, here's what's crazy about this. Good? Have they read their own history? Israel was still conquered at this time. The names are different. This time it's the Roman Empire. So they're kind of hoping to go back to a day that things were great. Well, when things were great, they were a mess. They still didn't follow correctly. Things were still a disaster. And it led to where it got them. So they look back and they say, would you restore us back to where we are? Would you, would you, are you going to bring it back to where it's supposed to be? I just don't get this sometimes. This is where I wait for Jesus to look and just slap them silly. Are you guys even listening? Did you, do you hear yourselves? Hi, I just resurrected. And they're like, so are we going to go back or not? Listen to this. I want you to hear what he does here. Jesus responds to them not by looking back, but by looking ahead. He honestly, he just ignores their question. He gives them a vision for what could be. And he shows them that he is doing something new. Listen to this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's really great what he does there because the words that he used, it's not a commandment. It's not like you're going to do this. It's what's going to happen. He's saying you will. This is going to happen. You will experience the Holy Spirit. You will experience what it's like to reach the world with this message. He said you can't do that by looking back. You're asking the wrong sets of questions because your minds are on what was instead of what could become. Jesus kind of looks and says, we don't have time for this. Don't look back, look ahead. And he gives them a vision for what could become. See, if they stayed stuck in their past, it would steal from their future. It would steal from their ability to reach out to all the ends of the earth and tell people about this amazing thing that Jesus was doing. Can you imagine if Jesus had looked and he said, I like that idea. Yeah, let's just, uh, let's just restore things back to how they were. None of us would be in this room today. The gospel would have died in that place because it would have centered just on those disciples. And he said, no, the vision is so much bigger than that. You have to get beyond looking back and look ahead to what is to come. It's incredible. It's a beautiful, powerful moment. Years later, the follower of Jesus named Paul took this lesson to heart. And in a letter to some early Jesus followers, he gave his testimony, the way that God was working in his life. Then he gave an invitation for the followers of that church and for us to do the same. Listen to this. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not yet consider myself yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind 
in straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that. Paul looks back and he says, I'm not going to get stuck. I'm not going to look back at what was. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So the question is, what does this mean for us today? And the lesson for us is that God is always doing a new thing. This doesn't mean our past isn't filled with accomplishments or tragedies. Every single one of this place has achievements and victories, mistakes, and pain. And on that scale, you may feel that your life sort of leans one direction or another. See, but if we dwell on those things, we, we miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives. And we rob ourselves of what God is going to do next. So here's some questions I wanted to ask this morning. What continues to drag you into the past? What do you need to celebrate, mourn, or honor so that you can experience the new thing that God is seeking to do in your life? See, that's the one for me that really grabbed me. This idea that I'm not supposed to just get, get out and get beyond it. I'm not just supposed to simply let it go. That this passage says, look, look back at that trophy case. Look back at that closet. But do something about it. Celebrate past achievements and victories. Mourn past mistakes and pain. Honor past moments and memories. And then let them go. So you can embrace the new thing that God is seeking to do in your life, in your family, in your church, and in the world. For some of us, this is hard. It's the part that I wrote last night that I, I wanted to catch. See, we look back, and for some of us, our past is better than our present. It makes it hard to imagine the future, doesn't it? For others of us, our past is filled with things that we don't even know how we're going to work through. So we have to do something about that. One of the best things that we can do is find someone we trust to walk through that with us. I've done that through Christian counseling. It's one of the best things that I have ever done in my life. And I can encourage you to consider that as well. To look back and say, I can't walk through this stuff on my own. And I need someone else to help me, good or bad, to walk through it. The other reality is that our future is going to be filled with new achievements. It's also going to be filled with new pain. And while I don't believe that God is the cause of that pain, His promise is that He will walk through it with us. With the Holy Spirit and through His church. And then we walk into that future ready to see what God is going to do. I think this is why I couldn't get this passage out of my head. That lately I've been looking back at my past and I've been thinking about all the things that God has done. Or I look at the things that maybe didn't go as well as I wanted them to go. 
And I started personally to notice that I was caught in my past. I was stuck there somewhere. I was looking back and saying, oh man, I just want that mountaintop again. If I could just have that experience again, if I could just get back to that place, man, that's where things were good. And I realized that is the worst thing that I can do from a spiritual place, is to look back and say, man, I wish that could happen again, because that happened for a reason, and that thing sits there in that place, and I should celebrate it. I should say, thank goodness for that moment. It is a reminder of what God has done. And then in other places, I look back and I say, man, that was a mistake. That was stupid. I wish I hadn't done that. It's messed up everything. And, if I, and I just sit there and look back and say, what if, what if, what if, two of the most dangerous words in the English language. Like tentacles that grab you and say, hey, come back here, come back here. And we miss that God is trying to do something brand new. That God is opening the waters before us and saying, walk, trust, come with me. And the best thing that we can do is say, okay, I'm going to reach up to someone and say, help me through. And I'm going to reach back and say, come with me. And as a church and as a family, as people together, we move beyond. And we don't steal from our future any longer by being stuck in our past, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And we read this passage, this promise that God has given us. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I love that phrase. I'm doing a new thing. Do you realize that God just left a blank thing? What thing? I don't know. You haven't experienced it yet. There is a path that has yet to be walked on. I am so glad that we get to walk that path together. To see what God has for your life and my life and our lives and our church and our community and our world. What is coming up? What is this new thing that God is going to do? I don't want to get stuck somewhere and miss it. So let's walk it together. Let's see the new thing that God has for us. So we don't sit there with regrets. And instead, we have trust. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are doing a new thing. That you're working through our lives. That you're moving in our hearts that you're challenging us. You're asking us to see beyond the things that were. Father, we trust you that we walk into the unknown with you. God, that we believe the words of Jesus that you will be beside us that you walk with us, that you show us something new and something incredible. 
Father, help us to celebrate the achievements of the past. God, help us to mourn those mistakes. Help us to honor what was good. Help us to get beyond the pain. Father, help us to see that you have something new in store for us. And God, as we move from regret to trust, we place our hands, our lives, into your hands. And we walk with you. And we ask you to carry us forward. And show us the new thing that you're about to do. It's your name that we pray. Amen.